Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. Um, I have started a new series on this podcast and it's called Conversations on Race, Privilege and Inclusion. Every episode will have a different guest and a different perspective, which is really what I'm looking for. And my intention here is, you know, we don't know what it's like to live as another person. We don't know what it's like to get pulled over. Like, I don't know what it's like to get pulled over as a black man. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to have a conversation with my parents to tell them that I'm not straight. There's so many different perspectives in life. And we think our realities are the truth, but really they're only our perspective and our truth. And until we look and listen through the, the lens of another, especially those that are different from us, we can't possibly understand their experience or reality. So my hope through these conversations is that in hearing the perspectives of those that are often systematically oppressed, disenfranchised, or often encounter racism or prejudice, we can learn to empathize. We can learn to open our hearts and our minds to their realities. And then we can do what is necessary to make the system, our society, and the world a place of equality, love, and inclusion. Thanks for tuning into these episodes. Uh, feels really important, not only right now, I wish this was something I was doing before I felt called to do it, but you know, better, better late than never. My guest today is Tu Jerli. Tu is the fulfillment coach. He's the, he, sorry, he is a, he's a coach for purpose-driven leaders and change makers. And also, which is a really cool thing I know about him, he's a retired professional dancer and I've seen him dance and it's pretty incredible. I wish I had control over my body the way he does. It is highly, uh, it is an extraordinary talent what he's able to do in, in the dance world. And he's an Asian American. He, I asked him to be on here because him and I had, um, had he, he went through a training program that I was involved with, Accomplishment Coaching. I've talked about it on here before. And I got to hear stories where he faced racism as an Asian American. And even when I say Asian, I was just talking to him about how that's a broad category. I don't know how many different groups of people we throw into that category, but his, uh, his background is Hmong, and I'll probably ask him a little bit about that. Uh, we don't even, it's interesting to think that we don't even give the group Asian, like we don't even let people say what they are. We kind of just like lump them in. Uh, and we don't do that. It's often with other cultures, right? When people say they're white, they're like, I'm Polish or I'm whatever. So I just think it's an interesting topic. I'm really excited to just get his perspective on what it's like to be him, to live as an Asian American in the dance world, as a coach, as a human being. Um, Two, thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Alex. I'm uh, excited to be here and I'm excited to be able to share my own experiences. 
And I hope that my own perspectives will provide others with, um, you know, just kind of a lens through what is what's it, what it's like to uh, be me or to, you know, come from an Asian American background. You know, you're, when I asked you, when I reached out to you to do this, you're, you're so humble and you're generous and you're kind. And the first thing, I mean, I just like this stuck with me. You're like, I don't want to take the attention away from, you know, my African-American brothers and sisters. Like it's their moment. And that was, it like really struck a chord with me as really like a generous thing because it, it is. And I think it's just super important that we, that we all like, this is a moment, not, this can be a moment for them and it can be a moment for all people of color, um, people of, of different races and ethnicities and, and sexual identities. Like this isn't, this, I love the idea that it can be a both and. We can focus on them and we, I can, and the, your voice and your story still is powerful and it still tells a story of the systematic uh, oppression or racism that America kind of has like in the hidden shadows that, that until cameras showed a lot of it, people didn't want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely is a big, um, that was a concern for me, right? A big, a huge concern because, uh, growing up as a, uh, a professional dancer, uh, the black culture had a lot to do with how I found my own identity. And I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I paid my respects by allowing them this opportunity to have their moment because this is a very, uh, you know, we're in a time where they, they need the spotlight and they need to support more than ever. Uh, but I appreciate your, uh, your take on it. Um, you know, like this isn't, um, this isn't a fight that just started, you know, with George Floyd. He was just the uh, trigger for something that's been ongoing. Um, and, you know, if, if not now, do you have a conversation when, right? Um, so again, thank you so much for inviting me on and uh, allowing me the opportunity to speak about the experiences because I don't think a lot of uh, Asian Americans have the opportunity to do that. Will you start with just giving us like a taste of, you know, what kind of racism or discrimination have you faced personally? Um, and what's it felt like? Like really, like what is it, what has it felt like when you've experienced it and how, you know, like, I mean, just tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, racism is a, uh, it's a funny thing, right? Um, yeah, I remember uh, it, it's been a part of my life as far as I can remember. Uh, my parents were, um, my parents uh, had to survive through genocide. Um, and a little, back, a little background about the Hmong community, um, they were living in the jungles uh, or in the mountains of Laos uh, when the Vietnam War happened. And then the CIA um, found them and were like, hey, you know what, we don't want, the, we don't want uh, the communists to destroy your way of living, so come and fight with us. And when we win this war, we'll give you land. Obviously, we lost the war, right? So when uh, America retreated, they abandoned the Hmong people. And uh, so then the, uh, and then from there, the Viet Cong um, set out to kill all of the Hmong people for basically trying to fight against them. And so my parents alone and, uh, you know, the rest, the generation above me, I guess you could say, they had to take to the jungles and many of them uh, survived for four, five, six years in the jungles while they were trying to seek refuge uh, in Thailand. Um, so, you know, there's a generational trauma of growing up and knowing that story and already there's racism within the Asian culture of, you know, like the Vietnamese or Viet, Viet Congs are trying to massacre the Hmong people. So that's always been really present already. Uh, on top of that, you know, like growing up, there's always been um, 
like I remember growing up in school and um, we used to have like, we call them race wars, you know, where uh, it would be like the Asian kids versus like the black kids versus the Hispanic kids versus the white kids. And uh, every, like before recess, we'd always like, we'd all run up and line up by the pencil sharpener and like sharpen a pencil so we could stab each other at recess. And it was ridiculous because like, again, this was part of my life since like the third grade. Um, and it was really a blind spot for me what racism was because it was so like, I grew up in it. Uh, it wasn't until, um, you know, maybe 2012 when I moved out to Chicago and I kind of got um, a bigger lens of what the world looked like um, and how people should be treated versus, you know, how I thought people should be treated uh, depending on their uh, ethnic background. Um, so that's a little bit about my own history of like growing up in racism and not even really realizing it. Uh, and there's, there's so much there, uh, <laughs> um, you know, especially with being someone who uh, was taught that, you know, we were like second class, uh, you know, Asians are really taught to keep the heads down, let the white, uh, white man go first. Um, so, you know, whenever uh, we, we just thought it was natural, like we're just second class citizens and uh, you know, that's not racism. That's just how it is. Uh, and it, it was it wasn't until much too late that I learned that. What do you think the impact is? Like when you think say that, like let the white man go first, keep your head down. I think that's a really that's like a very powerful, subtle undertone. We see that a lot with women, right? Like women are kind of like men. Men have the authority. Men go first, and women often in office spaces or workplaces don't speak up. How have you seen that play out as an adult subconsciously? Uh, there's a lot uh, in my own life. Uh, there's definitely, and you know this, we've worked together before. Uh, you know, I've, I've definitely had a loss of power before as a man. Um, you know, where I don't speak up, I don't share my ideas, even when I believe I have something brilliant to say, or uh, when I'm about to say something, I kind of, uh, I, you know, have a negative self-talk, like, oh, you know, this might not be important, but I wanted to share this. Um, and it was always really micro, right? Like I never really noticed it, but it was basically my life was uh, me underplaying myself, thinking that as an Asian man, my voice didn't matter as much. Uh, my opinions didn't matter as much. And um, more than that, uh, you know, keeping your head down and following the rules and being good students, right? That, that naturally, uh, I feel like that naturally taught me to be a follower and uh, never stand up and be a leader. So I feel like I lived most of my life being a follower, trying to see what the uh, appropriate thing to do was. It's like a great, um, it's a great, um, I don't know, arrow to systemic racism. Because it wasn't like one guy stood in front of you and said, you're Asian, go to the back of the line or don't speak up. You're actually describing like a, like a, a way of being that you learned how to be through the culture you grew up with, where I think is, this is the scary thing and the thing that makes racism so terrifying is it's not like, let's go change that one racist guy. It's like, there wasn't that. It's, it was a culture. It was a belief system. It was, and it was like taught to your parents and they taught it to you. Did you see, and even in your school, you described like the kids who didn't know better were like doing these things. When you were in, you know, as a, how did it look in the in the dance community? Because my my assertion or my assumption is that I'm sure it was very diverse in the dance community. 
Um, yeah, so uh, it, it was different depending on where I was, right? Um, <laughs> like uh, being back, uh, I'm from Appleton, Wisconsin originally, where, uh, you know, there's not a lot of dancing whatsoever. And the dancers there are happen to just be Asians. So I grew up with a lot of, of course you can dance, or Asian, right? Like I grew up with that stereotype. Uh, in the dance industry, however, there's, uh, it's interesting how it's divided up. Again, uh, street dance is basically created out of black culture. So you have a side of it that's all about like the black culture, the street, like where you literally go, like uh, some of my mentors that I learned from were from Compton. And uh, every Thursday we would have uh, a session outside of a movie theater where it was just like in a parking lot, somebody would blast music on the speakers and like we would just, you know, dance. And that was my moment to be surrounded by like the black community. And then right after that, I would go and join like other sessions or other dance sessions where it was all Asian folks and it'd be in a, you know, nice little studio with mirrors and like a DJ and like appropriate sound system. Um, so it, it looked very different depending on where I was. Um, you know, and I will say, you know, when I was around um, the Asian community, uh, dance-wise, it was really, uh, they call it choreography, right? Like the choreography uh, groups. And it was really unity-based, where like everyone kind of looked the same. Like you have 10 people, like sometimes 50 people on stage doing exactly the same thing. And uh, when I was in other communities, it was very individualized. You know, where it's like I had my own unique style and then somebody else would go after me and have their own unique style. So that's kind of what it looked like. And I think like that, sh for me, that sh says a lot about um, like the, uh, and I, I don't want to speak for all Asians here, right? But for me, that says a lot about like the idea of uh, conforming and needing to belong in the Asian community because this urban dance is what they call it, this choreography world was heavily influenced by, uh, by the uh, Asian folks who adopted the black culture. Um, and for me, ha like wanting to be on stage with that camaraderie of so many people looking like them, doing exactly what they're doing, dressed like them, uh, that does say a lot about like wanting to fit in, wanting a place to be like have home, to belong, you know? Uh, and as beautiful as that was, I've always been on the other side of the freestyle community, right? Where I didn't like fitting in like that. Uh, but it was hard for me to find that voice because part of me always did feel alone when I was um, going out and kind of having my own style. So there's a balance there. Uh, it's hard to say because, the, again, the dance community, there's so many different avenues to it. Yeah. But uh, hopefully that answers your question a, lo a little bit. <laughs> You know, I know, you know, I have a story of, I remember when I was in high school, I played baseball in, um, it was like this kind of region, they called it RBI, but it was like people played outside of their high schools in different places. And I played in Inglewood and Compton, and often I was the only white guy on some of these teams. And it was probably the first time I was ever like completely the minority in a group. And I remember, I didn't, I was young, but I, but I remember feeling like I had to prove myself. Most of the guys were Hispanic. There were a few guys that were black. But I remember feeling like I didn't belong until I had to prove myself. And in that world, in that baseball time, it was like through toughness, like how tough you were. And I remember at one point, my dad always reminds me of this, a, a ball got hit and I like took it off the chest and I picked it up and I stepped on the base. And like all, all of a sudden, all the guys had respect for me. It was like, oh, this white boy, like he's got, he's, you know, whatever. And, um, and when I think when you were talking about it, like I, 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 I can flip it in my head and be like, man, I had to feel like that like one time 
right? Like one time I had to feel like I didn't fit in and I belong and I had to try to earn my belonging. Now for luckily it was like, that wasn't that hard, right? How did that go for you? You know, when you were around like uh, other groups, I'm sure there were white dancers, Hispanic, black dancers. Were you accepted as an Asian dancer, especially in Chicago? Um, yeah, luckily, uh, fortunately, in the dance community, I don't think I've ever actually faced um, discrimination in a way of you don't belong here. Um, I've always been very welcomed, which is a, a part of why I love the, uh, you know, black culture and the dance so much. Um, because again, like they always welcomed me in and I felt like that was the very first place I could find home. Um, you know, and... Um, like when I would dance with the Asian folks, it was, hey, yeah, obviously you're a fellow Asian dude, come and dance with us and learn with us and like, you know, like be on stage looking like us, right? Like it was all of that. And then when I would go to the uh, black communities, I mean, no one ever said, hey, you're Asian, you don't belong here, what the hell are you doing here? Uh, it was honestly like, obviously people looked at me and could tell I was different, <laughs> uh, but they, they took me in, uh, you know, without hesitation. Uh, my mentor, they call him FUD, F-U-D-D, FUD. He's a huge leader in the Crump community, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember I showed up to the session and I'm some like, you know, skinny Asian kid standing there looking shy and timid. And I don't know who to speak to to teach me. And he just walks over and he's like, hey, you want to learn? And just took me right in. Um, and, you know, he uh, like and from there, like a lot of the like I, the way I like to put it is I was so accepted that uh, he needed to protect me from people trying to recruit me into their own crews. <laughs> um, so like discrimination in the dance community, I've honestly never faced. If anything, it was outside of the dance community in the professional world. It was, uh, you know, in school, it was walking down the streets uh, and dance was really the one of the few places where I could say it, that I felt safe as, a, as an Asian American. You brought up stereotypes before and you kind of brought it up again. I'm curious, like, you know, if we, if we get outside of, if we, if we actually just address them, right? Like what are the, the main stereotypes we hear about Asians is they're smart, right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's more, that's the like one that comes to my mind. I'm curious like how that impacts like how that impacted you, like, like, and other stereotypes, like were there other, other stereotypes that you felt like you had to deal with or you, like to me, if there was a stereotype, like I had to be smart, that's a lot of, that's, first of all, it's not true, it's not, but then I have to like be, it, it's, it exists, right? So how did you, what stereotypes do you feel like you encountered or faced and what was the impact that they had on you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, we call that uh, like the microaggressions, right? Because a lot of people don't, just come out and say, hey, screw you, you're, screw you, you're Asian. They, they more say like the, the random stereotypes, right? Like, of, oh, of course you're smart. You seem like you'd be good at math. Like, you must be good with computers. Can you help me with this thing? There's so many, uh, I, I can't even name them all, but ultimately there's a lot of microaggressions. Um, and I think a lot of them are stemmed from like, like you mentioned to your point of like, you're smart, uh, you have to be like an A plus student, you must be good at piano because you're Asian. Um, you know, like you must be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Uh, like you said, that's a high standard to live up to. And uh, the, the thing that I've noticed with uh, myself and with a lot of other Asians uh, as well is, you know, having such a high standard to live up to, when we do achieve it, we don't feel like we've actually accomplished anything. We feel like we've just hit the, you know, we've just hit like, we finally hit what it means to be an Asian person or finally what it means to be enough, you know, mm -hmm. 
I remember I was speaking to someone, uh, a woman, and she was a, uh, um, like, she had a whole artistic background. She was, she was uh, amazing at the violin, uh, amazing pianist, uh, super smart, you know, straight A, 4.0 student, uh, had a master's, and, like, amazing background, right? Like, a, a, an amazing talent. And when I spoke to her, like, we were talking about a lot of this stuff, and she just said, you know, I just feel like you're typical Asian. I feel like I had, like, I don't feel like I... I uh, have talent or have skills. I just feel like the only reason why I can do this is because I'm Asian. And, um, you know, like, like she discredited herself for all of these skills and abilities that she had. Uh, and I feel like that happens a lot in the Asian community where, um, you know, for, or like if I'm speaking to myself, where like no matter how much I accomplished, it wasn't enough. Because it was like, oh, well, you know, you're supposed to be this guy. You're supposed to you know, make X, Y, and Z. You're supposed to be a doctor, a lawyer. And if you broke that paradigm, then you were kind of a taboo. Um, so that, that definitely impacted me that way a lot. Um, I, I would say the biggest, the biggest stereotype I had to face um, with my own family and my own culture was, uh, again, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. Right. And when I chose to be a professional dancer, uh, <laughs> like everything went to hell. Like uh, my mom didn't talk to me for, you know, two or three months, literally like lived in the same home. We didn't speak. Uh, she told me I was the worst kid she's ever had. Um, you know, a bunch of my family, they would say that they were supporting me in person. And then like behind the scenes, they would be talking crap about me. Uh, you know, and like people were kind of viewing me as like the, the outcast or the black sheep. That's always what I've been kind of known as. Uh, and that hurt a lot, right? That that took a lot from my own self-esteem to see myself as someone who could be successful as a uh, as a professional dancer. And you know, even now when I speak to a lot of the friends who uh, I've um, you know met along the way, some of them will say, "Hey, you know, you're one of the best dancers I met. You're one of the, you know, you're one of the top tier dancers over in this area." And uh, I have a habit of always tearing myself down because I feel like you know because originally what I was fed was, you know, you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, like you're not supposed to be a dancer. So I always felt like I was still fighting to like um, prove to my own family or to my own people that I could break this, uh, the stereotype and be successful. So that's one of the ways that it impacted me a lot, for sure, uh, you know, in uh, my own upbringing. I'm curious about, like the subtle bits of discrimination or racism that you face from like um, the workforce, um, you know, friends of yours, like things that are like, you're like, you know that they're not racist, mm -hmm. but there's this, like, like I, I want to say to you, even with me, and I said this, and you don't have to have an answer, you don't address me, it's like, how am I racist? Um, and, and you and I, I don't know if you have enough enough to give me about me, but maybe you could look in, in your life or someone, people that you know, and it's like, man, there's people around me. You kind of talked about it a little bit, but can you answer that? Yeah. Um, yeah, what I say, what I like to say is that, you know, a lot of people aren't racist. They're, uh, or not that they're intentionally racist. They just like, they just have a blind spot. Right. And they just don't realize that what they're doing or the, the things that they believe happen to be racist. Um, one of the common ones I give you is, uh, where are you from? You know, like everyone thinks that this question is super innocent and everyone will argue to the ends of the world that it's an innocent question. I just want to know more about you. But really when you ask the question, where are you from? What you're really saying is, Hey, you're not from here. 
you know, you're from somewhere else. And therefore, it's a sense of like, you're not actually American, what are you? You know, and I've had to argue my point of like two people that I genuinely know, love and trust. Like, I, I'm an American, like that's, that's it. Like, I'm an American, I just choose to call myself Hmong American because, you know, Hmong happens to be the background. But if, if uh, but when we're speaking technically, like when we're technically speaking, I am just American. Yeah. And that's a concept that's really hard for people to grasp because they think American means white, right? Or they think uh, if you're Asian, you have to be something else. So little microaggressions like that. Uh, there's also microaggressions around uh, how Asian men are viewed in general. Like right. uh, a, a lot of Asian men are viewed as more feminine uh, and like less of man, like less of a man. And I have my own theories about like where this all comes from, right? But uh, the biggest thing is, you know, with, with that, uh, you know, you'll hear a lot of microaggressions around, let's just say from women who say, uh, you know, I don't date Asian men. You know, mm -hmm. little things like, yeah, like, I love Asian people. I'm not racist, but I don't date Asian guys. <laughs> and, uh, or you'll hear something around, uh, you know, what Asian women being fetish, uh, like, you know, it being a fetish to be with an Asian woman. And uh, you may think that's a compliment, but ultimately that is still more of a, you know, you're objectifying and that is still a discrimination. Um, so, you know, dealt with a lot of that and in the workforce, you know, uh, the way that that's impacted me in the workforce is I, I've shown up to a lot of places. Um, yeah, I remember one time in particular, I was having uh, like a networking lunch with um, like a, a group of professionals and I was the only Asian person there. There were other people my age, but I was the only Asian person there. And uh, the waiter um, came around and he kept calling everyone sir and ma'am and miss. And he, then he kept calling me buddy. Um, and the way he spoke to me was very like, it was more so like, uh, you know, just kind of like just enough to see what I needed. And I eventually called him out and I just said, you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Why is it that you're calling everyone else sir and ma'am and you're calling me buddy? And uh, he didn't have an answer for that. He just kind of froze. And, uh, of course, I let him off the hook, right? Like, I wasn't going <laughs> to uh, do that, uh, you know, in the middle of a networking event. But I just, you know, it was just simply to pull out a blind spot in him. And I, and I think what that really showed him was like, like, yeah, like, why is it that I'm seeing you, particularly you, as someone who I can call buddy? Right. And everyone else is someone who actually be calling sir and ma'am, you know, like, why is it that I should be speaking as like less of a professional to you? Um, so I've had the, those instances. I've also had instances where, you know, I'll go out networking and, um, you know, my age gets brought up a lot. Um, and I've had to tell, I've had to challenge people and tell them, you know, is like, let me ask you, is this really a question about my age or is it a question of question about how I look? Yeah. And uh, the first thing they'll say is, well, you look young. And then from there comes a challenge of, well, you know, there are other 28-year-olds there. So the question is, did I look young? Or do you just have this thing like Asian, you know, like there's this micro voice saying like Asian folks look a certain way or are just a certain way or whatever, right? And when I challenged him on this, uh, he realized like, yeah, wow, like I, I really just thought that maybe you knew less because you were Asian. And because you looked a certain way, I thought that, you know, like, <laughs> you're less of a man, therefore you're younger. So, like, uh, and having a full-on conversation with people like this, it's challenging in the professional world at least, uh, you know, to the point where it, it often becomes a battle of um, do I call you out and make you uncomfortable, 
right? Do I call you out and risk you being uncomfortable for the sake of like what I believe is right uh, and sharing with you a blind spot? Or do I stay quiet and do I just kind of like for the sake of trying to get your business? You know, uh, and that's, that's when it becomes a really hard battle because a lot of people, you know, let's just uh, like even at the, uh, the lunch one that I was talking about with the waiter, um, you know, the, the number one comment I got was, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it. You know, and it gets dismissed. And then uh, over all out of nowhere, I'm seen as the person who's overreacting, right? Because I want to be treated equally. And uh, I remember I left that I, I left that network with uh, like no legitimate connections, you know, other than just oh yeah, here's my card. Uh, so there is a lot of risk that comes with that, unfortunately, with people who just don't understand the microaggressions. And uh, you know, and I hope that you know whoever is listening can understand that. And if you hear it, if you see it somewhere, like you can support and calling it out as well. <laughs> it reminds me of when you know we see like we use the term for women. Like if a woman gets mad, we'll call her like hysterical. Mm-hmm. Or if a man gets mad, we'll call him angry or like assertive. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, you know, I, and I, I hear that. I think we do that. We have these, like, we do have these unconscious biases that we say that we don't realize impact people. And I think that's, it's really not, like, it's, it's nice to hear your side because I think one of the things about all of this is, like, none of us are right and none of us are wrong. But if we can actually hear other people, we can understand them more and we can know and we can do a better job. I, I said to my coach one day, man, I used to, like, think it was so hard to be a good person. Like, I used to be like, oh, I don't want to use that energy. Like, I was just a jerk. I was just an asshole of a guy. And I just was like, it's like so much effort to care about everyone's feelings. It's not. It's like not a lot of work at all. But it does require you actually ask questions. You actually say, like, you'd say to you, like, wow, that sounded like it really bothered you at the table, right? If somebody called me buddy, I probably wouldn't care. But I think the thing is, because of all our lives and all our experiences, it's different. And it, it's, it's your truth, right? And I think that's the thing that's getting lost in so much of our world is like the truth you face is real for you and real for so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious about how you, you know, being a, a person of color and having it not be your moment, like, like we were kind of talking about this like in the beginning. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like, you know, just personally, like, how do we, like, I don't even know how to ask this. I'm like, try, I, I know there's no right way to ask it, but it's like, do you feel like you get a moment? Like, how do we address all of this? Because it's not ra- racism, discrimination, sexism, genderism, you know, all the, doesn't a- a face only one group. It faces lots of different groups in lots of different ways what does it feel like to be maybe the group that isn't highlighted? And like, what do you see for yourself and for people? Like, what are you taking on? Yeah. Well, this is a, this is actually a really big thing. Uh, that's part of my life. So thank you for asking. Um, you know, and I think with, with it being a, um, there's a, you know, again, there's a stereotype that Asians are more passive and we keep our head down and we follow that. A lot of Asians follow that. And uh, within my own culture, a lot of people refuse to speak up. It's just kind of like, I just stay quiet, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Um, And when it comes to having a moment, I would, I would honestly say, uh, I don't feel like you've, uh, as at least for the Hmong community, I don't ever feel like we've had a moment. Uh, You know, we, uh, 
when we fought in the war with uh, America, so many American lives are saved because of the Hmong community. Um, you know, they would go out and fight and like the Hmong people would be front, like front and center, you know, um, and it was just, they would send the Hmong people to do like the, the dirty work, you know, that was like a lot more risky. And uh, so many American lives are saved because of that. And yet you look at the history books and none of it is recognized. You know, like there's literally nothing about that. Uh, to this day, so many people don't even know what Hmong is, right? And the fact that we played such a big part of helping America survive in the war for as long as they did, uh, just not to even be recognized, that, that hurts a little bit, right? Uh, and that, you know, that definitely uh, hits a soft spot. So I would say uh, we, still haven't, we still haven't gotten a moment. And uh, I, I am still standing that we do get a moment eventually. Um, and for now, you know, with, with it not being our moment now, like just in this particular timeline with everything going on, uh, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Like, I understand that the fight needs to be elsewhere. Uh, and I do stand with that, that fight as well. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm ignoring my own cause for my own people, right? Um, so, you know, uh, and I think, like, like um, it's just one of those things where I, I think people need to know. You know, and I think that, uh, like, Asian folks have uh, worked, or uh, I won't say Asian folks, I'll say Hmong folks. You know, I think Hmong folks have worked really hard to get to where we are and to belong where we are uh, and to still receive the racism that we do because of ignorance, you know, to still be told things like go back to your own country when, you know, people don't realize that the only reason why we're not in that country is because we helped you. You know, like, it hurts. Um, and you know, that's a fight that I'm still, uh, consistently, uh, you know, fighting with, like, and going for, uh, you know, to make sure that our voices are heard and our contributions have been honored. Um, so it, it does feel belittling. It does feel, um, you know, painful, but, you know, uh, the, the way I like to put it is you can feel it, but you can lead from a better place, you know, you like feel it, but use it and you don't have to you don't have to be hurt or you don't have to be pain, you know, and uh, fight in the, in the fight for justice. I love um, it. So. And you, and it's great. I mean, just right here, right. I didn't know what Hmong was. We started, right. I, I was like, and I, I think I'm pretty, I mean, I read a lot. I was a history major. Like I, you know, in college, I, and so I don't, it's cool. Cause like, I feel like, well, now I just learned something, right. Just from this simple conversation, I learned something. I learned something about you. I learned something about another culture. Um, even the, you know, even the, with the pain that you feel like the hurt of not being acknowledged, not being seen. Um, it's really powerful. Um, is there anything else you'd want to say to, you know, from your perspective to people, to human beings, to, to people of any race, culture, group, Americans, whatever, that you feel like you want, you know, if you have a moment to kind of have a voice? Is there anything you want to share? Um, you know what? I, the biggest thing I would share is, um, like, I, cause I used to be an Uber driver, uh, and I, I loved doing it. Like, I was one of the few people who loved it because I got to meet so many people from so many different backgrounds. And one of the biggest things that landed with me was, uh, you know, talking to people and being like, wow, like you're from such a different background and somehow our different backgrounds led us here, you know, uh, to connect. And I don't know what that is, but I'm going to take it as a blessing. Uh, and yeah, I think it, it's a, 
the, the biggest lesson I learned from connecting with all of these people is I like to say, um, you know, uh, life is basically a big picture, right? And humans are placed in different sections of looking at it from a different angle. And uh, the more you get to see someone's perspective, it's like you get to see the whole picture, the bigger picture of what life is. And then you get to choose uh, and pick which part of it you want to bring into who you are as a human being and which part of it you want to, you know, leave out. Uh, and I think that's such an amazing gift, you know, to be able to see life through other people. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to, you know, do so, like meet someone different, meet someone who may be unexpected and get to know, like, how is it that through their differences, you both ended up here in the same place, same time. Uh, cause that's, that's a beautiful, uh, like you'll, you'll learn that that's a beautiful thing to have. Thanks. Thanks for doing that here today. Um, two, thank you for, um, just sharing your perspective, your story, what it's like to be you. Um, I appreciate your generosity and your, your kindness and your humility to share your story and have respect for other people's at the same time. Um, and just thanks for the courage to come on here. You know, one of the things I'm keenly aware of is like, these won't go right. People will say, I said something wrong or my guest's opinion doesn't matter or, or you know, take offense to one thing or another. And um, so I know it takes courage to come on here and talk about something that's so charged and so sensitive. And I know that the people I'm inviting on, you and, and the others that will be here, we're all here to learn and we're all here to improve and get better. And so thanks for, thanks for putting yourself like in the, kind of in the fire and in the hot seat and uh, being in the conversation with me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And thank you for uh, you know, holding space for these conversations. I think uh, it's time that we have them. Uh, it's been time that we have them. <laughs> and uh, thank you for being a leader in the movement of creating and making it happen. Um, you know, and I think uh, your your listeners will greatly appreciate it. And uh, your guests will, you know, greatly appreciate being heard the same way that, you know, I am right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Mm -hmm. Well, so to everyone listening, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping an open mind or working to keep an open mind uh just thanks for being here thanks for hearing a different perspective you know I, I think something that was i learned early on as a coach which i think is so valuable right now is we we often listen to the world through these these like almost like headphones of agree or disagree so everything two said or i said our our instant brain tells us i have to agree or disagree with that and one of the most game-changing things i learned was to try to filter that off and that doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It simply means to notice the agree or disagree. Because what happens when you agree or disagree is the con we either get to have a nice conversation because we agree, or the conversation gets shut down because we disagree, or we're going to fight because we disagree. But there's no progress in agree or disagree. And what I hope you can do in listening to these conversations is just notice where you agree or disagree, and maybe turn it off and go, what if I didn't have to agree or disagree? What if Alex or two or whoever the guest is, isn't right or wrong? It's simply another idea, another perspective, another way to see a situation, a time, or a, a human being, and what's available from that place. Um, thanks for listening. Please share this podcast with a friend that you think it would make a difference for, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast 
with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.